Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow, and we are keeping score in a busy week globally. Golf, racing, rugby, every major issue is covered. Let's get right to it. Deal making of the week, three to one. First, Game of Thrones may be over, but the legend of Brooks Kepka grows. He wins and hoists the Wanamaker Trophy and further his fantastic lore. The comments, for example, like USA Today said it best, for a man almost childishly alert to perceived sights off the course, he moves through the choppy waters of a major like a shark focused on real meals and un- uninterested in the chum bobbing along the way. He overcame four consecutive bogeys on his inward nine, shoots a 74, wins two million. More importantly, finally cemented ultimate respect and big paydays with potential sponsors. His current deals are with Nike and Michelob Ultra, and he doesn't have an equipment sponsor. Dollar signs behind that equipment deal just went up big time. That's number three. Number two, it's graduation season, and we'd like to suggest a gift. Our sport business handbook recognizes the last 50 years as the formative era of the modern sport business industry. As colleges and universities graduate their 2019 classes of aspiring career professionals, it's a rare opportunity to hear from some of the industry's most influential players. Consider that according to Forbes and PricewaterhouseCoopers, the U.S. sports industry will be an $80 billion annual category by 2022. Job growth across all sports industry, retail, related industries as well, expanding at over 12% annually, more than double the national job market. And in markets like Atlanta, Boston, Denver, Miami, Dallas, Jacksonville, Philly, and Pittsburgh, sports-related job growth is increasing at above 20% annually. The global sports industry estimated to be a $1.3 trillion category, sports media the fastest-growing segment of the industry. And as a subset of that, legalized sports betting represents a billion-dollar category poised to grow exponentially, as evidenced by casino and mobile sports betting legalized in Iowa. So if you got a child poised to join the workforce post-college, they could do a lot worse than a career in sports. That's number two. Finally, number one, scene shifts to Indy. The Indianapolis 500 will likely be the first time a CBD sponsorship will be featured during an official IndyCar race. The development comes after Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsports announces a partnership with CBD-based sports drink Defy, according to the Indianapolis Star. The product's name will appear on both James Hinchcliffe's number five and Marcus Erickson's number seven. The CBD has been legal in Indiana since 2018, and the growing CBD industry has the potential to become a new revenue source for teams. That comes amid plenty of examples of drivers struggling to find sponsors, including Kyle Kaiser's number 32 and some others. Interestingly, while THC level in Defy is allegedly well below the 0.3% 
percent allowed. IndyCar drivers can't drink it because CBD is on the organization's banned substance list. But as the CBD market grows across the world, it's fair to wonder what sponsorship effect it'll have on IndyCar. Can't wait for Indy Weekend. It's the biggest economic impact event in the United States on a daily basis. Speaking of IndyCar, the interview this week has some significant diversity to it. There's no argument that the United States is the world's superpower in track and field, having won more Olympic medals than the next five nations combined. Max Siegel was named the CEO of that dynasty in May of 2012, but his background is diverse and expansive. As senior VP at Sony BMG, he managed the careers of artists like Justin Timberlake and Usher. He was the president of global operations for Dale Earnhardt and still has his hands in racing as the owner of Rev Racing, a development racing team in NASCAR for minority and female drivers. And since becoming USA Track and Field's fourth CEO, he's led the organization to unprecedented growth and success. We caught up with Max in Indianapolis and here's his perspective now. Rick Haro, absolutely honored. Max Siegel, he's owned Rev Racing since 2009, part of NASCAR's Drive for Diversity. But he's also CEO of U.S. Track and Field since May of 2012. Seems like only yesterday. Max, thanks, first of all, for inviting me into your home here. Thank well, you. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate that very much. So, you know, you've done everything. We'll talk about Timberlake and Britney Spears and not to forget Notre Dame Law School, you know, pantheon of highest learning. And you also obviously drive for diversity to talk about that. But 2012, new challenge, May of 2012, you're thinking, should I take this on, CEO of Track and Field? What were the considerations? You jump at it? Well, you know, I've been around the Olympic movement since the late 80s and uh, had an opportunity to serve on the USA Swimming Board Foundation and then also uh, USA Track and Field. And I've always felt that the organization as a global brand, the leader in the Olympic movement, had a lot of potential on the business side. So when the opportunity uh, presented itself to take over and lead the organization, it's been a really exciting ride so far. Let's keep that thread going for a minute. So some controversy, not in track and field, but obviously change of governance. We all knew Scott Blackman very well and always a fight for funding. Has it emerged on the good side, the Olympic movement in the U.S. generally? Well, I think um, the Olympic platform obviously uh, is like no other. Um, The sponsors are being really cautious about their investments in the sport. And with our federation, we have uh, the most diversity in our athletes and we have a lot of assets. And for us, uh, we've been able to bring on 14 new partners and some some great uh, partners for long term. Well... You're understating. I mean, you won 819 medals, which is more than the next five nations combined. You have a million five high school track and field runners across the country. So you've done pretty well in a short period of time. Well, you know, in the last seven years, we've had a huge growth trajectory. And I think it's uh, because our sport uh, is from the cradle to the grave. I mean, we get involved at the grassroots level. And obviously, on the Olympic level, our athletes are the number one track and field team in the world. And so it takes a little bit of money for a kid to pick up a golf club. And, of course, Tiger Woods is trying to minimize that barrier to entry. But anybody can run. So how does that distinction parlay into more and more youth and track and field? 
Well, we uh, like to say that we're the sport behind the sport, yeah. uh, that you have to run, jump, and throw to be great at any sport, and it's exciting to see the engagement with our young people. Uh, so we have a rich pipeline, and uh, w- the future for our athletes on the elite level is really bright. And growing the sport from a youth level, very important part of your mandate, but also your heart. You didn't have the most stable upbringing yourself, so talk about that a bit. Yes, yeah, sport uh, really saved my life, uh, and I, I dug in in school, and I dug in in sport just to have an excuse to not go home, and uh, it was through my coaches that invested in me that I realized the power of sport and how it can transform someone's self-image, give them the kind of confidence and really uh, the discipline to be successful. So, you know, I'll always be indebted to sport, and uh, I see it as a tremendous way to impact culture. Well, you personally, so... You, you, you off and running, Notre Dame Law School, but then with Sony BMG, obviously a lot of athletes and a lot of entertainers, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Usher, for example, similarities and differences. And did you think when you got into that, that this was going to be sport dominated, entertainment dominated, or really did it make a difference? Well, I find that every athlete wants to be an entertainer, and every entertainer wants to be an athlete. Uh, I had the good fortune early in my career to represent a lot of Christian music artists uh, who introduced me to Reggie White and Tony Gwynn, who were my first two big clients. And I saw the synergy early in my career about how those two worlds uh, overlap. And I think if you go to the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl, you start to see more and more how it's evolved over the years. Uh, But sports is entertainment, and uh, it's really exciting to see people who excel at both uh, at high levels in both industry sports and entertainment agency business and doing the right thing sometimes is a contradiction I mean how how was how easy was it for you to adhere to your principles getting into the business and succeed for me, um, quite easy because my marquee clients exemplified and they live the values of integrity and hard work and respect. And I learned so much from having clients like Reggie White and Tony Gwynn. Uh, and, they, and, and they obviously referred and helped me recruit players that were like-minded. So it is a highly competitive business uh, and you're known by the company that you keep. But having those two guys as the pillars of my practice uh, was really great. I know a lot of people in the industry that have gone over to the other side with various levels of success. It's a little analogous here. You had a practice. The USATF came calling and you said, let me do that. What do you do with your practice and would you ever go back? And, you know, that that issue. Well, uh, I had some great partners, and when I transitioned on the corporate side, uh, they took over the business. Uh, we've all since kind of transitioned to the corporate side. I think when you start to have a family, and uh, even though ev- no day is the same and you want to have a more uh, predictable lifestyle, it's great. I think I find myself in a position to help more and mm-hmm. really to mentor and educate younger professionals who are agents and athletes. So stay in the mix, um, but uh, I prefer the seat that I'm in right now. And the seat you have right now may give you a little more leverage to impact change. Talk about some of the most inspiring moments you've had over the last seven years. Uh, I can tell you that inspiring moments for me uh, run the gamut 
when I look on the drive for diversity side with yeah. the drivers like Bubba Wallace or Daniel Suarez or Kyle Larson, uh, who all came through my race team, it's really inspiring. But then when you see the character of someone like Justin Gatlin that has fought through adversity and continues to handle himself with class and dignity and win on the highest level, that inspires me uh, and it motivates me to stick to my principles and to you know just be true to myself. We'll get to track. We'll get to racing in a minute. But just on the track side, in terms of community outreach, um, what's on the horizon for USATF as an institution, and what are you, what are you most excited about? We uh, brought on the Hershey Company a few years ago with our Run Jump Throw program, and we've had over 600,000 young people go through it, uh, teaching them the fundamentals of the sport, but even more importantly, introducing them to healthy lifestyles and a lot of self-confidence. Growing that program on a global basis is great. Uh, I'm pretty excited about some of the younger athletes that are now on our international teams that have come through the pipeline, whether it's Sidney McLaughlin or Noah Lyles. uh, and, and again, to see the young people mature and grow up, and then also to watch athletes like Allison Felix or Wallace Spearman transition into the elder states people and mentoring the young the young athletes is really is really amazing. And, and just remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is somewhat equivalent to. Dan Marino with isotoner gloves on the beach. Uh, Hershey's is a chocolate company, and this man and others have sold them on a program of athlete fitness and health. Easy to do? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, the reality is that they uh, the, the partnership came about because Milton Hershey, who was an orphan, uh, was really committed to the happiness and emotional well-being of children. And so they had the Hershey track and field games, and when they talked about his legacy of creating fun and excitement and a great environment for people, uh, we were really kind of a natural partner for them. So it's interesting how it came in the door. It's a confection company, but they're really uh, committed to the sport. Confection company, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> a healthy confection company. There you go. It's a, there's, a, there's a salesman for you. Let, let, but, a, but, a, but, a, but somebody selling a real, real significant asset. Let's talk for a minute about uh, Rev Racing. Um, You've been an equity owner since 2009, and one of the numbers that really struck me is that uh, 40 crew members are currently on NASCAR team. They may have more now, but but how did did you decide to make a difference, and how did you implement it? So I'll go back to Reggie again. So Reggie White, Eddie DeBarlow, Ronnie Lott, and I were looking many years ago, um, collaborating with Joe Gibbs and Rick Hendrick to get into the sport. Uh, we were forming uh, and ultimately purchased a, a NASCAR team and Reggie passed away. So it was at that time when Reggie called me. I'm Max Siegel, a black guy with a Jewish name, and he told me there were a lot of opportunities in NASCAR, and I thought he was crazy. Uh, but the reality is uh, that there are. And so after spending two years as the president of Dale Hart Incorporated, mm-hmm. Brian France, the chairman, said, hey, listen, we want to look at the future of the sport. We want to diversify the athletes and the fan base. And um, my uh, my director of human performance, uh, Coach Phil Horton, African-American legend, uh, has a strong history in the sport. We collaborated. So the pit crew program was the first training program that we created together 11 years ago. And uh, we've had 100% success in terms of placement of graduates from our program. So watching athletes who have peaked or uh, don't really realize there's an opportunity to continue their profession in the sport has been great. But 40 throughout the National Touring Series and 
when we go to a race and I see the change, it really is a lot that makes me really proud. And the unfortunate little secret is to have to overcome a presumption. Brian France, Lisa Kennedy, they're all really committed. I mean, Lisa, obviously, but everybody's committed to diversity. It's not as if you plug and play and say the right thing. You really do it. Yeah, they've been committed for the last 20 years, and I've been partners with them for um, 11. So their commitment is unwavering. Yeah. So the, the other piece that I wanted to get to are commonalities. The USATF, obviously, uh, rev- racing your early days as an agent. What have you learned generally about the power of sports that can really change lives if harnessed properly? So um, what I'll talk about at competition, first of all, both sports are family sports. You see so many families that participate in the sport that attend as fans. But what was really interesting is um, I was the first African-American employee ever at Dale Earnhardt Incorporated going in as the president. We had 600 employees, and it was a company that had a 28-year history, and we bonded around sport. Uh, many of us couldn't be um, more far more different than we actually were, right. but passion about the sport, making the cars go faster, taking care of your family, and it's through sport you realize that we have more in common than we do differences. And so, um, traveling on the global the global stage. Um, the one story I do tell when I first took this job, and I'll try to make it brief. No, it's important. I, I went to, uh, my first assignment was to accept the award from the International Athletic Federation uh, as a founding member uh, of the federation. So they said, you have to go to Monaco and you have to represent the United States. And I grew up, my parents didn't go to college. I'm from Indianapolis public schools. So I got on a plane, landed in East France. They put me on a helicopter over to Monaco in a motorcade to the to beat Prince Albert and the president of IAAF to be a guest of honor. And all they talked about were the amazing athletes that we have and how around the world people want to be like the Federation and the athletes. And sitting at that table, being from Indianapolis, um, again, with parents who didn't go to college, I realized what a unifying, um, you know, how sports unifies people and how it really, really has an impact at culture uh, at the highest level and through all walks of life. Greg Ballard question that you can answer even better and Eli Lilly, you know, this has morphed from a dream to the amateur sports capital of the world. Uh, how did it how did it happen, but more important, how did it sustain? So I had the benefit of being a young associate with uh, Baker and Daniels, and I worked for Jack Swarbrick and worked with Jeff Smullyan and Michael Browning and Jim Morris and Dave Frick. And uh, Not a bad group yeah. of people, by the way. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and that group yeah. decided um, that we wanted to make Indianapolis the amateur sports capital of the world, and it was through all the effort, the sweat equity and you know the sales pitches and attracting institutions here. And it's amazing how it has transformed Indianapolis into what it is. I think that uh, those thought leaders and and leaders in this community have stayed committed, uh, and that translated into our community. We, I don't know that there's a city that is more embracing of national events. Um, and, and, you know, we make a commitment being here to stay connected to the community as well. Uh, and, and now we have leadership in Ryan Vaughn, who's the chairman at Indiana Sports Corp, and continuing to have a cast a, a really ambitious vision for Indianapolis. And the fact the NCAA headquarters and the 
stadium and the commitment of X number of Final Fours, men and women, and on and on and on. And so it's an economic engine, too. It's not just an anecdotal social. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, when we had the Super Bowl here, it was very obvious how uh, an event of that magnitude has an economic impact and can transform a community. So final question for you relative to the future. Uh, five years from now, Max Siegel, you're on the rise board, clearly, and there are so many issues that you haven't conquered yet. In fact, you're not a, you're not an old guy, but you haven't really done anything yet. So what's next? <laughs> I'll tell you, the most exciting thing in my life at the very moment is uh, watching my kids grow. Uh, my son's a football player at Notre Dame mm-hmm. and watching him mature. My younger son, who's 17, is completely immersed in music. And then my daughter, who's a freshman in high school, is a great student, elite volleyball player. So it is actually, it's great to see how sports and entertainment has it's in their blood yeah. and how much they enjoy it. Uh, but really, that and I, I was telling a group of our athlete leaders, you know, um, I never thought I'd think about my legacy, but my legacy uh, is all about trying to raise, train, and uh, guide the next generation of leaders. Max Siegel does it very well. And the other little secret here, having hosted this show for almost two years, I don't know how you did it, but I'm much taller than you are, but you're, you're, you know, you, you know this, like you're, it's like you're sitting on a phone book, ladies and gentlemen, it's, and it, it's probably the producer, it's the, it's the Mike Tarico effect. Max Siegel, thank you very much. Thank really you, appreciate, appreciate it. <laughs> Next, the Tech Sports Minute. Big issues this week. First, UFC and Chinese social media platform Weibo have partnered for a larger overseas profile. They built the UFC Performance Institute in Shanghai, which is the most robust center to date. (coughs) Highlights from UFC matches (coughs) will also be shown at the center, touted by UFC as the world's largest MMA facility. Getting bigger, more money every day. ESPN partners with Caesars for sports betting shows. Bloomberg says Caesars Entertainment will have odds data and branding integrated with the ESPN programs. And they'll put a studio inside Caesars Link Hotel and Casino in Vegas to build a new series of shows and videos aimed at the sports gambling market. And nearly a year after the Supreme Court ruling, which federally legalized sports gambling, TV networks have jumped on the opportunity to boost their viewership through sports betting as many consumers use other devices and OTT platforms for entertainment. Finally, 2019 Women's World Cup finds a way to Snapchat. Fast Company said Nike's launched new Snapchat lens that allows fans of the U.S. women's national soccer team to try on and buy the team's new kit before the 2019 Women's World Cup in France in June. Fans can pick between the home and away jerseys, and then a quick swipe will take you to Nike.com for an instantaneous purchase. This new AR filter was only available for a day, but the soccer kits prove that women in sports are getting a serious marketing push as it marked the first time that a brand has ever done a shoppable lens for apparel on Snapchat. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, the Power of Sports Minute. First, the final whistle on hate charity soccer match drew about 28,000 fans to Gillette Stadium. Chelsea topped the revolution 3-0. 
Bruce Arena was in attendance with the revolution set to formally announce that he'll be tabbed with the dual role, roles of coach and sporting director. And the Boston Sports Journal noted the event raised more than $4 million, with a million each from Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich and revolution owner Robert Kraft. LeBron James partnering with Walmart to feed the hungry and inspire positive change in Akron and across the country. The Cleveland Plain Dealer says James will be part of the free retailer's Fight Hunger Spark Change campaign, which raises money through donations and the purchase of participating products. The effort to date, about $74 million, 749 meals, a goal of a billion. Walmart keeps the pantry at James's I Promise School stocked with food, toiletries, clothing, and basic necessities. James and Walmart will support each other's education program starting this summer with a back-to-school campaign as well. Clearly, very important, very timely, and very telling. And that's your Power of Sports Minute. Like to thank everybody for being involved in the podcast this week, including Max Siegel as he gets ready for Indy 500 and other issues involving the Olympics and USA Track. We'd like to thank you for listening and watching, and join us next time when we're keeping score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.